I just naturally talk about my journey at the bottom of each newsletter. It's like, you know, when you're ready, nothing's forced on people. Here are a few ways I can help you. So it's almost like making myself available. And naturally, you know, people want to work with people that they can relate to, you know, people that they feel connected to. And some of the most recent conversations I had is like, you know, it's almost what I would call an ideal prospect. It's someone that's like, oh, I, I read your newsletter. And then I, I filled out your form on your website. And I watched your video. And I've been following you on Twitter and everything you're saying. And you're and I talk about that, that what am I best in the world statement, that cosmic conduit, like, oh, my God, when I heard that, like, I, I really lit up. And I'm like, this is the person that's that's that I'm meant to work with. Welcome, I am your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. Last week, we talked to Jeremy Goldman about making the journey from entrepreneur to entrepreneur, and also about how AI will impact work. Today, I'm thrilled to have as my guest someone without whom this podcast would have never made it to episode 10, let alone 77. Harry Duran is the founder of Fullcast, a podcast agency. He worked with me at the start of my podcast. He helped me refine my strategy and taught me how to adopt systems that would allow me to produce episodes on a more consistent basis. He's still a good friend and someone that I very highly respect. He's also a remarkable example of someone who has fully embraced his authentic self. In our conversation, he shared his journey from the corporate world to independent consultant to agency founder. And he also talked about his decision to start sharing more publicly his full life. Not surprisingly, that actually had a very positive impact, even in his business relationships. Finally, I couldn't let him go without taking advantage of his knowledge in the world of podcasting. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast, you will hear some great advice. Enjoy. Harry. Welcome to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. And I'm very excited to return the guest spot I was on your fabulous podcast, Podcast Junkies. Let's have you introduce yourself to my audience, what you're doing right now, and then and sort of what was your journey? Because I know that you started in a traditional world and then ended up as a podcast entrepreneur. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. Uh, it's been Nice to have this uh, partnership with you and this, this relationship we've had over the years. And it's been exciting to see you and the growth of your show. And I really appreciate the fact that you came on and shared your story because it's always inspiring to see all the different ways people get into podcasting and also to see your enthusiasm because I follow your visibility on Twitter too. So it's like, and then your engagement with the Squadcast community. Ariel does a great job of keeping that community engaging. So it's always nice to see, you know, people who really take to the medium and really are passionate about the connections that they're building here. And I, I imagine you have a lot of stories about, you know, the past guests you've had on. I'll try to resist the urge to ask you any questions because I'm as a natural <laughs> podcast host, I'll, I'll let you do most of the driving. But yeah, as you mentioned, my journey in, in business started with my corporate life. I was in corporate for 20 plus years. I started all the way back as a, as a teller in a bank, you know, back at, I think it was chemical, it was manufacturer's Hanover, which became chemical, which became Chase, which became JP Morgan Chase. So I've been in finance for a while, but never, I never studied finance. It was more of the marketing side. So I was blessed to have what I call a corporate godfather who was always promoting me into different positions. And I eventually ended up at, at E-Trade for a stint as well. So I'm grateful for everything I learned in the corporate world. My last gig, nine to five wise, was some consulting I was doing for a business intelligence software company based out of San Jose in California. But it, the writing was on the wall because it was nothing that was my specialty. I was, I was doing account management and I was always had these one off side gigs. So I would always try something entrepreneurial in late 19, 1999. I got sucked into the dot com world and I, I left my, my corporate job, cashed out my 401k and, and joined a startup. That didn't work out because needless to say, I, we would have been having a different conversation. But I learned a lot about uh, you know taking risks and taking challenges. And it was sort of my first taste into the entrepreneurial world. In 2014, I went to a podcast conference. I was determined to learn how to podcast because I was starting a show. I was wanted to start a show where I interviewed DJs because that's my, my one of my earliest passions. House music, playing vinyl, uh, DJing parties. And we had built a mobile app with a partner of mine. And I was trying to promote the mobile app. So I thought I'd start a podcast. 
when I got to the conference, I, I changed gears and I was fascinated by the world of podcasting. And I said, I want to learn more. And the only way to do that was to start a podcast about podcasting and interview those folks. And so that's what I did. That was Podcast Junkies. And it's been eight plus years. This April will be nine years, uh, 310 plus interviews with amazing folks in the world of podcasting. And it, what it's done is I'm sure you've experienced is open up this platform of being able to stage what I call it, of, of just inviting people on that I want to have conversations with and, and learn more. And so I also needed to learn a lot about digital marketing, which I wasn't taught in, in school or, or during my nine to five. So I had to take a crash course and I, I, I paid for a coach to just show me what I didn't know. And it was really what I call digital Narnia. Like I had to jump in and I was paying him $1,500 a month. And I went into these first sessions and I, I was really felt like I was a fish out of water, but I was like all these six figure and seven figure entrepreneurs like running businesses. And I was like, you know, I didn't really know this world existed. I remember a Jim Rohn quote I came across early on that says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And it was really like an eye opening experience for me to just get immersed in that world, learn about, you know, sales funnels and landing pages and copywriting. <laughs> and so it was a trial by fire, a lot of failures along the way, but I was able to start my agency full cast in 2015. And since then, we've launched 100 plus shows for clients. I was grateful enough to work with you on, on your show as well. And that's been an interesting journey, just helping people find their voice through podcasting. And then the, the most recent project is a second show I started uh, in vertical farming, which has been completely sponsorship driven. And that's been an eye open experience as well. So that's a show that focuses on the vertical farming industry where I interview CEOs and founders. And then that show has generated over 60K in sponsorship revenue since I started that show. So lots to cover there, but it's been a, a fascinating uh, entrepreneurial journey for me since starting uh, back in 2014. You said you spent like a good chunk of your time in corporate. You mentioned you you went to a dot-com, but when did you start realizing that, oh, maybe I just want to be the boss, my own boss? <laughs> Yeah, I think it was interesting because I think if I think about the positions I've held in my companies, it was never really anything that I majored in or I didn't major in finance or major in marketing. I, I did three years of college. And then when I got my job, I just immersed myself in the corporate world. And so I just learned, I did a lot of learning on the job and I was very tech savvy and I picked things up pretty quickly. I would always try things like the dot com thing. Also in, in 2000, I, <laughs> I left my job again and I went to go work for a half brother of mine in Atlanta in, of all things, construction. He, we had been reacquainted because he had been connected to the family years ago. And he's like, Oh, I need a GM for my company. It was a masonry company. This has nothing to do with tech, <laughs> nothing to do with corporate. But I was like, I, I, so I feel like there was that pull to, to kind of not necessarily do my own thing, but just provide some guidance in terms of things that I knew. And I left, I went to go do that for two years. And I mean, we're talking hard hats, construction boots, scaffolding, waking up at 6.30 a.m. <laughs> by the foreman of a construction site. So it was, by the time I was done, I was well-versed in reading blueprints and doing estimates. But it was also doing other people's things. I was sort of not necessarily riding coattails, but it was their vision and I was helping them along the way. So it was this idea of like following other people's, you know, listening to other people's voices instead of not paying attention to my own. And so in that last consulting gig, it was clear that the writing was on the wall, that, that my, my position was going to be eliminated. And it felt like it's now or never. Like I really have to do this. I was in that mastermind. I was showing people the benefits of podcasting and someone in the mastermind that following Saturday, we had a, a two day session. He called me and he said, Hey, that, that podcasting thing that you're, you, you talked about when that's ready, I'd love to sign up. I want to start a show. So that was my first client forever. Grateful to my friend, John Levesay for that first show I launched, you know, he PayPal'd me over the deposit and we started and I took everything that I had learned doing podcast junkies for a year. And I said, all those things that I do are valuable to a business owner. But they don't want to do all those things. <laughs> they know what needs to be done. They know what's helpful. But this is a done for you service. So it's this idea of helping them focus on their genius. I always talk about this idea of like this four types of tasks. Those you're incompetent at, those you're competent at, those you're excellent at, and then your genius. Naturally, those first two, you want to get them off your plate as soon as possible. This is why you go to a car wash instead of sitting outside and driving, washing your car, or you have someone clean your house. But the excellent tasks are those where you're, you actually have a skill set and you're good at it. For me, it's like 
web design. I can do some HTML, I can do some CSS, but every time I get involved in my own site, it becomes a rabbit hole and I spend six hours like trying to fix a little image in the sidebar. And the last time that happened, I just paid someone to do that and the, the light bulb went off. You know, I was just like, oh, that's your genius. That's what, like what you're super great at. So it's this idea of really understanding what are those things? It's that small percentage. It's like a 10 to 20% of the things you do, but you're world-class at it. And so that's what I was, as I was thinking through this offering, I said, why don't you let me let you focus on your genius and let me take away all those things that are not your genius so you can focus on making your show better. And, and that's how the, the, the business got started. So I love this idea of finding your genius. You know, it's a conversation that I've had with a lot of my guests. And it's the idea that at some point, instead than trying to become okay at everything, you need to recognize what you're really good at and double down. When did you start recognizing where your genius was and how was that process? I think it's hard because I, I think, you know, people think that what they do is not that special. There's always, and then there's the imposter syndrome that kicks in and you realize, oh, everyone can, you know, does this or people have done this before. And even me, when I'm, when I was starting the first show, Podcast Junkies, there were other shows that were talking, believe it or not, about podcasting, you know, friends of mine, uh, like uh, Dave, Dave Jackson runs School of Podcasting. Like I was listening to those shows and I was like, well, I'm going to try something similar. And, and, and I think what happens in those early days, you know, you copy a lot of what you see, but eventually you just add your own flavor to it. You add your own expertise, your own, your own life experience. I've told people before that if you give five people a show, call it the same show, same topic, at the end of a year, if everyone was doing an episode, a weekly episode, you'd probably have five completely different shows because everyone's just going to be bringing in their own life experience. They're, they're going to be inviting different guests. They're going to be talking about different topics. And so over the years, I think I've just been more and more confident as I built up that skill set of, of things that I can focus on. And it's, it's almost like a Venn diagram of a bunch of different things that you're, 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 you're good at. I always think about this concept of Ikigai. You know, what is, what is your, your passion, your life's purpose? And I forget the, all the different parts, but it's like, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What lights you up? What can you do for, you know, with, you know, for hours on end? And it's been, it's an iterative process that can, that I continue to work on day in and day out. I recently worked with a, a coach by the name of Catherine Porritt, who helps people with like luxury offers. Like she helps people, you know, build high ticket offers. And, and something that we went through in her training was this idea of what are you best in the world at? You know, it's a really interesting question when you when you ask someone to like say what are your best in the world at because most people would feel like well you know I, they become humble and they're like well I don't I don't think I'm best in the world at it but I'm really good at it but if you really think about it you know if you start to marry all the things that you like and your passions and you put them together like for me in the past year I've been more open about my spirituality you know how I've been on that journey for probably 20, 25 years if I think about when I was first introduced to Buddhism and I've just always been fascinated by it and i've gone probably down every single woo rabbit hole you can think of from like ancient civilizations in egypt and you know new age stuff and i've read tons of books and it's just always been passion for me and it's something that's deeply personal and i started to think about that in the context of what i do for for folks with podcasting and helping them find their voice and so one of the taglines that i catherine was able to help me come up with was, you know, when I'm asked that question, I say, I'm the cosmic conduit for awakened souls ready to transmit their message to a global audience. And as you might imagine, when you hear something like that, it either repels you or attracts you. <laughs> There's really no in between. And I think that's really important and, and really defining who you're for and who you're not for has been pretty helpful for me. I cannot tell you how much I love this because what you just articulated is basically what is the heart of my show and it's the idea that if you are very explicit about articulating what is right and what your values are and then you make your decision in your life in your work life specifically based on that ultimately not only you will be happier but you will be more successful the idea of authenticity is the idea of going through the process of disclosing you know, the things that are more important about us that maybe you may be in the beginning afraid to disclose. Because you mentioned you've been in your spiritual journey for 20 years. You started bringing it into your work 
recently, and uh, it sounds like it has paid off for you. Talk to me a little bit through the process of going through the decision about, okay, I am going to open up this part of my world and maybe some of the fears that played into that and how you overcame them. What's interesting, especially for people that come through the corporate world, is there's this idea of a polished image, right? And it's so funny I, when I think about how much time I'm, I'm on LinkedIn versus my corporate world, because the joke in, in when you have a nine to five job is you only go on LinkedIn when you got to polish up your resume, and you, you need a new job. And it's so been so funny how, how many relationships I've built through that platform and how I'm openly sharing my journey. But I think you're worried about what would people think? Do I talk about topics that are, that are deeply personal for me? And does that, you know, make me look vulnerable or weak? And, and you sort of are going through all these questions in your mind and am I revealing too much? And do people even care? And I think what's been consistent, you know, is especially with what I'm doing with my newsletter, which I've been putting out once a week now, every Saturday, the title of the newsletter is a life worth living. And, you know, I just, I turned 52 in October and I'm just really, really just, it's almost like settling into my, my skin and being comfortable with the journey that I've been on and sharing that in, in a way that people can either take it or leave it. So I've talked about everything from the very journey I've had in my career and the ups and downs and how I kind of like was figuring things out as I went. And I've talked a little bit about like sessions I've had with my therapist. I've talked about like ADHD and being neurodivergent, which is a term that I've learned about and, and come to grips with, you know, over the past couple of years. And I'm like, it's interesting because I've been aware of habits. I've been aware of, um, you know, things that I've done in the past, behaviors. You know, some of it is driven by your ego I mean, when you're younger and you don't know any better and you want to look good. But I think what people really resonate with and what I'm really finding that's been helpful is just continuously putting myself out there and just seeing the feedback. It could be one person that responds to the newsletter and saying, Hey, Harry, like, I don't know, like, if, if this feedback is helpful for you, but I've been following your, you know, your journey for a couple of years. And with, I've really felt the impulse with this most recent letter to just let you know that it really, I needed to hear this. I needed to hear this right now today. And your, your message came along at the same time. And it's very similar to what I talk about from a podcasting perspective. You never know who's listening and you never know who's reading your stuff. But if you're genuine and consistent with sharing your story in a vulnerable, open way, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We all have the same struggles. There are things that we're afraid to talk about, things that we're embarrassed by, behaviors that we did in the past that, you know, are, are not us in our best light. But I, I think at the end of the day, we're all trying to figure it out as we go along. And anyone who presents this perfectly polished image of this is what's life like and I've, I have zero struggles and I never had any challenges. Not only is it not realistic, but people can't relate to that. People that read that, they're going through their own thing and they want to feel like that ability that you're sort of humanizing the journey and also relating to them because I, I, I think it's those things that bring us together on a human scale and, and with everything that's been happening in this world the past two or three years, I think, you know, we're, we're so disconnected and we're, we're thriving or, or really wanting that, that human connection from you know, the people we come in contact with. And what has been the impact on your professional world from taking this, this different tech with the newsletter and being more open? You know, it's interesting because I, I talk about my journey and then what's interesting with the, the format that I've taken with the newsletter is I really don't, it's not market in a marketing newsletter anymore. And it started that way as, you know, because I followed all the guidance about like what to do and how to do a, a proper newsletter and then how to make the ask and all that. But it felt too, too fake and forced for me. So I just naturally talk about my journey at the bottom of each newsletter. It's like, you know, when you're ready, nothing's forced on people. Here are a few ways I can help you. So it's almost like making myself available. And naturally, you know, people want to work with people that they can relate to, you know, people that, 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 that they feel connected to. And some of the most recent conversations I had is like, you know, it's almost what I would call an ideal prospect. It's someone that's like, oh, I, I read your newsletter and then I, I filled out your form on your website and I watched your video and I've been following you on Twitter and everything you're saying. And you're, and I, talk about that what am I best in the world statement that cosmic conduit like oh my god when I heard that like I, I really lit up and I'm like this is the person that's that's 
that I'm meant to work with. And, and I think I, I really feel like, you know, you, you put yourself out there and, you know, the universe sort of aligns itself in a way to put those right people in front of your path. And, and if you, 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 there's a little bit of faith involved and, and trusting that that's going to happen. But the more you do it, the more you put the reps in, the more you put yourself in that space and you see that it does happen. It's almost like that scene in Indiana Jones where he's trying to cross what looks like an uncrossable chasm and he has to throw the the dirt onto the, the path. And you can see that it's actually a real path there, but he has to take that first step, right? That first step into the void of, of trust and faith and, and doing that repeatedly and, and, and with the confidence that you know that there's going to be that that brick paver <laughs> underneath your foot and that gives you the confidence to take the next one. That is a great metaphor for the idiot, you know, and, and if I have to take it down to a more prosaic, if you will, level, the process that you're describing is a process where by being so open and transparent about who you are, you may get less leads that you would have gotten with a traditional approach, but those leads are much more qualified, right? And they ended up converting a lot higher. So in some ways, you're almost increasing the efficiently of the system. Of, of course, in order for this system to work, it needs to be genuine and true. You can't just like, oh, I'm just, uh, I'm going to make up a persona that's so <laughs> honest and open or, you know, and so. Yeah, you can't fake it. You know, it's like put your true self out and it will pay off. That is fabulous. I want to go back to something that you said almost at the beginning of this conversation, because the first three minutes you were talking, I'm like, Oh, here's a whole line of inquiry. Here's another line of inquiry. So something that fascinated me is the innovation process that you were describing, which is don't be turned off by trying something just because it already exists in the market. And the idea that you can be successful with incremental innovation, if you will, not, you know, not breakthrough. And I think that's a really powerful concept because it's a much more viable concept for the majority of the people. I mean, I wish that I was able to come up with like a unique, incredible idea. And if I had that ability, I would do it. But at the same time, I think that the process you described gives hope to a lot more people. And then it's interesting to hear, you know, what are you best in the world with, which is almost like the opposite concept of that. So have you gone through a process of thinking, Okay, this is now my product design process and, you know, all these experiential things turn into like a more of a systematic process. And how has that been like? Yeah, I think I've always, I mean, when you talk about systems, obviously, there's that organizational part of my mind that always lights up because, you know, what we do and some of it you've experienced within the agency is everything is documented. We have standard operating procedures, SOPs for everything we do. And, and that's been helpful for me related probably to some of my neurodivergence of being organized. So I'm, I'm really, a, sometimes I get shiny object syndrome when I see new apps and like, if, if they help me with my productivity, then I'm drawn to it because I, I'm, I'm looking for that organizational structure. And so I, I always do think about, you know, how much of this is repeatable and how much of this can I put into a system where I'm always making sure that I'm, you know, I've got a lead flow for lack of a better term, but I think what I've found works for me, and I've tried it so many different ways. I've had people, I've paid salespeople to kind of redo my website and created funnels and magnets and all this sort of stuff that you, you know, you're taught to do early on in digital marketing. But I think what's resonating and more strongly with me is this latest practice of being consistent in writing about my experience and educating people with what I'm passionate about. So typically, I talk about either podcasting, self-development, and, and a little bit of spirituality. And I just mix them in. I weave them in because it's my life experience. It's what I feel most comfortable talking about. And you'd be surprised. You know, you think about like everyone knows about podcasting, but, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll post something on Twitter and inevitably about podcasting and people will say, you know, I've been thinking about starting a show and I'm just like, well, what's holding you back? And sometimes I'll just invite people to come on with me and have a chat and, and no strings attached. It's just like, I, I want to learn about your journey. I really try to give as much as possible, you know, and, and I know it's not a scalable approach because you can't just be sitting there having free conversations all week. But I think I really think about it long term. I really think about it from a, a give first mentality. It's a great book by, I think it's uh, Adam Grant called Give, which is just fascinating. This idea of just always give with the intention of not deserving or, or 
expecting anything in return. And I think it's really important. And people can feel that when you give, but you have a, like a, a dependency that you're going to get something back. There's something energetically that happens that people can detect that and they, and they feel that. And just lately I've just gotten more from just giving and, and offering people like help. And a lot of it is just sometimes you just need a little nudge or I'll need a push or a little motivation. I think this is an excellent moment. You know, you've mentioned a couple of times that we've worked together. I don't think we would be recording this episode right now if I had not worked with you for a significant chunk of time between my episode four and then episode maybe 20 something. Basically, you helped me set up all the systems, help me with the strategy, et cetera. And I want people to know the reason why we're not working together is that basically, you know, you taught me everything that I kind of needed to operate on my own. And I made a decision to to get to a much leaner operation in terms of doing a lot more myself. But because of how you handled the whole process and how instrumental you've been in where I am right now, we've managed to keep this relationship. And so, as you mentioned, there's a lot of people who want to learn about starting the podcast. And so, I'm wondering if you would be willing right now to, if you say somebody who is thinking about starting a podcast, what are like the four or five things that they should really be thinking about? Thank you for that. And I appreciate those kind words. And I think it's, there was a shift for me like several years ago. I really moved in the beginning. It's more of transactions. You're just trying to have conversations and close deals. And, and I think over time you just learn it's more helpful if you think about it as a partnership. And the partnership doesn't mean you'll be working together forever. But I, if it's a true partnership, like you said, you know, I'll, I'll help you get started and you, you, you'll go on your own journey. But if we're really, you know, built that relationship, then we still maintain contact. And I, and I'm happy to see you succeed. And I, and I know, like I said, we've launched over 110 shows. I, I don't have 110 clients right now, but I've been so happy to see people succeed in their own ways. And, and so that's been really. You know, that, that shift in perspective has been helpful for me from, you know, there's, there's a couple of ways to think about your show uh, when you're first getting started from the tactical standpoint, you know, when you think about it, there's really just four things you really need to launch a show into Apple podcasts. You need a name, you need a description, you need cover art and you need the first piece of audio. So I'll talk about the tactical for a second, just so people understand logistically what is needed name, you know. Don't try to be cute with your name. You know, my second show is called Vertical Farming Podcast. As you might imagine, it's pretty easy to figure out what the show is about. <laughs> and so, you know, the same with, with your show. And I think don't make it harder for people to find your show when they're, when they're looking through the directories. Description, it should be a clear explanation of what listeners can expect when they read the description. And every piece builds on the other. So description builds on the name. The cover art, again, Nothing fancy, high contrast images, typical sans serif font, and just something easy that catches the, pe the, the person's eyes. So you're pulling them in. There's so many podcasts. There's 4 million podcasts out there, maybe about three or 400,000 who have published at least an episode in the past month. So it's, there's a lot of competition for people's attention nowadays. That first piece of audio is your trailer. It's your episode trailer. So it's who you are, why you started the show, what the show's about, what listeners can expect. You know, traditionally we do this during the setup phase with clients. It ends up being about five to 10 minutes of audio. So you have those four things. You'll need a podcast host. You can use uh, Captivate, Simplecast, Libsyn, a whole variety of, of services. And that's where your physical MP3s reside. And then everything else is a, is a directory, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Pandora, iHeart. Those are places where people are, are, are listening to podcasts. So really, that's the tactical to get started. The other thing we've been focused on more recently with our launches is having really clients think about the plan. What do you want your show to be about? Who is an ideal listener? I always say, what do you expect a listener to do as a result of having listened to your episode? Like what action do you want to take? What maybe you just want to entertain them. So you want them to be like entertained and motivated and inspired and which is great. Uh, we work with a lot of business owners. So they have another intention of, of like getting to work with these people and educating them. I always say you can give them the what and the why for free all day long. You know, what people are paying you for is the how. So don't worry about giving away your secret sauce or giving away too much on the podcast. You should try to over deliver as much as possible. But a lot of what we do is really in the planning. I have new clients work through their first 12 episodes from just the content. Like what's the title of the episode, the next 12 episodes, 
So this has nothing to do with gear. We don't have to do microphone check. This is literally a pen and paper exercise. What would the 12 episodes be? Because if you think about that, you know, if you really thought about what's an SEO friendly, engaging title for a podcast episode that would make people say, wow, that episode, you know, how leadership is important in this new age of AI and what CEOs can think about so they're not out of a job in 12 months. You know, that's very specific and you'd be like, whoa, like I probably should be reading that if you fit that profile. But again, if you're the podcast host and you, and you have that title, then you could say, okay, who would I invite to have that conversation on my show? Or what would I teach if I'm a coach, you know, about that specific topic? So just really, really thinking because it's helpful. As you know, it's, it's, it comes, sometimes it feels like a grind. You know, sometimes you're like, Oh, I got to book my next guest or I got to like, you know, make time for this podcast interview. Or, I got to promote this episode. I got to get on Twitter. And, and there's a lot of moving parts. It's, it's, you know, it's not for everyone. It's not just record. Not everyone is Howard Stern. They go into the studio and they leave and everything magically happens. You know, for most people, you actually have to do all the work yourself. So be committed to it also be committed to to understanding this is probably something you, you want to try out for a year and, and see if it's a fit for you don't just do it for a couple of months because it's it's not going to get value for you so i think be committed and be really thoughtful about what you're trying to say and who you're saying it to it's great that you started out with the tactical and then got to this because when you're thinking about starting a, a podcast 90 percent of the time people bombard you we you know what mic should i get what software should i get etc i'm like let me tell you this, that's the easy part. Just Google it and there are like 35 <laughs> articles that are going to tell yeah, you that yeah. and you're just going to pick. But the really difficult part, as you pointed out, requires pen and paper, which is thinking about the content and thinking about the sustainability. I think it's something that gets often, and not sustainability in the ecological sense, but sustainability in terms of like, you know, if, if I'm committing to do 60 episodes, how do I make sure that my idea has legs? Yeah. That my idea has 60 episodes in it. Yeah. Consistency. Yeah. That's fabulous. So when I go back for a second to your entrepreneurial journey and specifically, so you went from being a individual consultant to now you have a full agency. I'm interested in learning how was the process of deciding, first of all, okay, I don't want to just do it on my own. I'm going to build an agency. And then how you thought about building your agency and, and some of the, you know, the operating principles as a leader, if you will, that you decided, you know, this is the type of leader that I'm going to be. And, and this is what I'm going to expect out of the people that work with me. Yeah, it's interesting because my last job at E-Trade, I was managing a team of 11 customer, uh, it's, it's customer service reporting team. So we were building the reports that we would deliver to senior management to gauge the effectiveness of the customer service uh, organization. So was, so we were, you know, our team was delivering reports to VPs. And so it was really helpful. Uh, that's the biggest team I'd ever managed previously. And you deal with like a wide range of personalities and, and you have to be able to communicate to them and articulate to them what the need is for the senior management. So you're, you're that liaison. And so I've had the pleasure of having really solid managers in the past. And it's also thinking about priorities as well, because so I was thinking about all these things and these influences. I had an old boss, you know, when I, when I would get stressed out and I have a lot of stuff in my plate, I, I, I say, look, I've got 10 things here on my plate and there's only room enough time in a day to get six of them done. So I need you to help me like pr prioritize them. Cause if I try to do it, I may not be doing the one that's most important. So I would go in on weekends. And then one day he sat me down and he's like, look, at the end of the day, we're not saving lives here. You know, not working in the ER, <laughs> like we got a triage or, you know, keeping people alive here. Just put that into perspective and realize, you know, you know, get what you can done and do the best that you can, you know, and I really have carried that through and I've built out like a small team. I mostly what I work with is I've got a VA team in the Philippines that I've been working with for, you know, six years. What's been helpful about that uh, approach is understanding that when you work with a team like that, because uh, as well as they speak English, that's uh, not their first language. And so they don't handle ambiguity very well. So there's not a lot of room for, for a gray area. So when you give them a task or when you explain something to them, as a leader, you have to have the discipline and the patience to understand the first time you hand over something to somebody, they're probably going to do it 70% <laughs> to what you would do it, right? And you have these high standards, right? And you're like, oh my God, like, I just want to create a clone of myself. And that's not realistic. And you just have to have that patience and that mindset to say, hey, 
maybe I have to shoot a loom video for you to do that. Maybe I have to be more clear in my SOPs and, and, and show you what it is that I need done. And just uh, understanding that there is another human being at the end of that conversation and that they have their own daily struggles. And so as I've had my small team that I've worked with in the Philippines and a, a local team here that helps with like the editing and the show notes, and all of them are, are younger. So it's, you know, a lot of them don't have that corporate training. So they weren't in the nine to five world. And, and you're seeing this a lot more, right? People who are used to like working on their own schedules and, you know, the wake up call with a remote work, whether that was possible or not, was an experiment that we had to try. Uh, we were all forced into the experiments and, and there's no turning back now, right? The genie's out of the bottle. So it's really adjusting to this new way of working and realizing you have to put yourself out there. If you're not a people person, it's, it's challenging to manage a team because you have to be a lot of handholding. And, and when I've had new hires, I make it a point to check in with them three times a week. I'm put time on my calendar. We get on a zoom call and like what's working, what's not working. And you know, that's not easy to do. And it takes time away from what you want to do, which is, you know, work on your business. But if you don't put that time in to build your team, it's going to show later. And I've had that experience, you know, just not training people effectively enough. And it's come back to bite me in the butt, like, later because I, and I realized when I look back that if I had just been more intentional about getting this person properly trained, you know, I wouldn't be going through those challenges. And so, you know, you learn the hard way sometimes. And then just now over time, I've just been really intentional about who I bring on to work and how much support I give them in the beginning, which is really important. So you have podcast junkies, you have the agency that supports all your clients. You know, you talked about the the new podcast, Vertical Farming. What was the impulse to come up with a new podcast and on a topic that is not necessarily the one that maybe people would think of as like, oh, I'm going to do a podcast on vertical farming? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I'd say in late 2019, one of my clients gave me a book uh, by Peter Diamandis. It's called Abundance. And some of your listeners may recognize the name. He's always talks about these like future technologies and he writes about, you know, a lot of tech stuff, what's, what's, what the world's going to look like. And that was the topic of this book, how much abundance is being created in this world. And there was a small chapter, maybe not even a chapter, just a, a couple of pages about vertical farming. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I've heard about this before. And he referenced a book by a Columbia professor, Dixon Despommier. And uh, I ordered that book devoured it in like one day and i'm like this is interesting and so as an entrepreneur your marketing brain is always in motion and i'm always thinking about ideas and i thought uh, the thought experiment was can i create my own podcast client in the world of vertical farming and create a show that would from day one be sponsorship driven uh, because I, what happened is when i looked at the industry there's a lot of vc money at, at the time i think the projection was 14 billion dollars by 2026 in terms of investment into the space and i thought this is a growing industry so when vc money comes in a lot you know usually the first spend is marketing marketing dollars so i, I started thinking about the ways this would happen first thing i did was grab all the socials because i know as a podcaster it's helpful to have platforms specifically for the show so vertical farm pod Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. And and then I said, I need to make sure the show's high visibility. So I'm only going to focus on CEOs and founders. And so I started doing some research. I started pulling a list together of folks I could reach out to. My first couple of conversations were people who were writing about the industry, who wrote for Vertical Farming News, Ag Funder News. I spoke to some people, uh, you know, the editor of, of that publication. And I would explain to them that I'm having these conversations about this industry. We talked about how to set up a new show and the name of a show. I called it Vertical Farming Podcast. If you Google those three words, it's the first thing that shows up in Google. I have verticalfarmingpodcast.com. So I was really strategic about making sure from day one I was building something that was going to get a lot of visibility within the industry. Cut to March 2020, and I'm, I'm having an interview scheduled with the CEO of, of a company called Intelligent Growth Solutions based in Scotland, David Farkar. And I said, uh, David, you know what? With everything that's happening with COVID, do you still want to have this conversation? He's like, yeah, let's do it. And he was probably in his kid's bedroom. <laughs> I was in like my office. We had a fantastic conversation. Um, and just some context, because you alluded to the fact that I, I, I did, this is not an industry that I was familiar with. I cut my teeth with podcast junkies, you know, 250 plus interviews by the time I started the show. So I was very familiar with long form interviews. I was very familiar with conversational interviews. 
you know, it's 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 a skill set that I'm, I know I know you can appreciate, and and you're you're very good at. You have to be naturally curious. You have to you know ask open ended questions. You have to be, take an interest in your guest. None of that relates to anything about the industry. I, I wasn't. I don't get into the technical details. I ask them like, where are you calling from? Where'd you grow up? How did you get into, into vertical farming? So it's been a consistent thread in terms of the format. And David and I had a fantastic conversation. I said, David, I'm looking for sponsors for the show. He said, you should talk to my marketing guy. He's in Chicago. So he spoke, uh, he connected me with the gentleman in Chicago. We spoke again, this is COVID. There was a unique experience that was happening across the world. Like we were all like connected because we were all going through this together and we had a great conversation. And I said, obviously you can't go to conferences anymore. How much are these booths costing you? He's like, we usually spend about $20,000 for a booth at a conference. And I was like, in my mind, I did math. I was like, okay, half of that minus one, $9,000. I said, well, would you be interested in sponsoring this show that I'm creating called the Vertical Farming Podcast, where I'm going to be interviewing some of the leading names in this industry. And I think about, you know, again, my corporate training comes in, I, I think about a quarter as 13 episodes. I was like, this, that's a season. Because that's how marketing companies think. Uh, that's how marketing departments think. And I said, for a season of the show, it's nine thousand dollars to sponsor the show. He thought about it for a few minutes. He's like, "Yeah, let's do it." I'll remind you that I hadn't even released an episode yet, <laughs> so I hadn't even released an episode of the show. No, I think this is great because if I abstract everything, first of all, I love the thing that you said about. I'm really good at open-ended question, right? The conversation we were having about what are you the best of the world of? Like that's that's a skill that is at the heart. You're naturally curious. I think if people go back and listen through the conversation that you and I have had here, there's like four or five different instances in which you decided to go learn something new. And the learning choice was different. Oh, I'm, an, I'm in a mastermind. I took this job because I was interested. So first of all, best in the world at asking open-ended question. and with comes from a natural authentic quality which is your passion for learning second there's a market fit you know we went through essentially a, the market fit analysis for your podcast is like it's a niche industry no one is there yet it's an industry that's growing so somebody was going to somebody's going to be interested in learning about it and then third the business analysis of like okay how do i price this how much are you spending i can give you more value with less money. Because at the end of the day, by focusing in a very specific industry, all the people who would show up at the booth are going to listen to your podcast to deliver value for them. You don't need to deliver them a million listeners, which I think a lot of people come into this industry thinking, I'm going to build a show that has advertising. And they don't realize that if they just go in with the idea of doing advertising, building an audience that's large enough for people to pay you, it's the hardest thing that you can do in podcasting. Oh, yeah. I think that the medium really lends itself to small, high-quality, niche industries. So I think this is an excellent point to kind of finish this part of the conversation because I want to be respectful of your time. If people want to find you, and obviously the two podcasts, Vertical Farming podcast and podcast junkies, but people who are interested in either in finding you or starting a podcast with you, where can they go? So we, you can go to the website and I'll create a, a landing page there, but fullcast.co forward slash authentic. And people can learn more about the five pillars you need to start a successful show. It's a short video series there. And it helps answer a lot of the questions that we talked about a little bit here, but I walk through specifically a little bit more in depth so people can get understanding and really understand what's needed for starting a, a successful show and what they need. And, you know, I'm, I'm really active on socials now. I've been consistent with my newsletter. So harryduran.com if you want to sign up for my newsletter, which uh, has been a really exciting experience for me to share more of my personal journey as well. Fabulous. All right. So now we go actually to the personal questions. First question, what's a passion that you have outside of work and how has that impacted the work, if at all? I've been uh, more conscious of um, not getting sucked into to, to work a lot because, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs will say, my passion is uh, work and <laughs> entrepreneur. And and the, the, the challenge with that is, you know, if, if you don't do anything outside of that, then your whole world revolves around that and you don't broaden your horizon. So thankfully, an early passion of mine is is uh, electronic music, house music. Like I literally 
learned how to DJ when I was 16 years old on, on vinyl, which I'm staring at right now because I've set them up in my office. But it's it was a fantastic journey for me, and it's something that's been a passion of mine. I've gone to electronic music festivals. I'm taking up a, an electronic music production class this, this winter. So I've been attending a class once a week, learning the basics of music production. So it's it's a nice way to get me out of this world because as much as I love podcasting, and now I'm learning about vertical farming so that I'm being sucked into these different worlds. But I think it's been a nice way for me. And then also a way for me to get out of the house because I'm looking for actually gigs in town where I have to, I'm going to play a gig at a brewery in February where I'm going to be spinning vinyl for, for three hours. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Second question, and this is my favorite question of the podcast. What is the business expression or jargon that drives you crazy? I was thinking about something that drives me crazy. And I, I don't know if it's a specific jargon, but it's this idea of fake admiration. And what I mean by that, we've seen this on LinkedIn. I, I saw this recently. Someone reached out to me and he said, Hey, Harry, thank you so much for all you've done. I'm a huge fan of your work. And then immediately there's like an ask. <laughs> like, I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, what exactly do you like about my work? And I really, I wish I had the time to just respond to each of them. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, what specifically do you like? We press podcasters, we get this all the time, right? Oh my God, I love your show of like, your most recent episode with Dina was so amazing. And I'm like, really? I don't think you really liked it. And I think you really listened to it because I, I, I've done it. I've, I've said, hey, if you liked it so much, what did you like specifically about it? You know, like, and now that I have two shows, people say, I loved your podcast. And I'm like, mm, which one, <laughs> which episode? Because it's helpful information to know as a podcaster, but this fake admiration, like this fake praise in the hopes of getting a return from it. It's what we talked about earlier, right? They're, they're sort of giving with some fake praise, but you know, they're expecting an immediate return, right? And, and with all these tools that allow you to reach out to people automatically, I'm seeing more and more of that. And, I don't, it's just the world we live in now. And I just have to let that, you know, brush that off my shoulder <laughs> when I read those and don't let them get to me. Last question. I call it food for your body or food for your soul. Food for your body. If you have a recipe or a drink that you go to, you know, that inspires you or nourishes you, or if you want to go the soul way, music, piece of art, movie, book, poetry, something that inspires you sort of on a more intangible side, if you will. A recent artist I discovered is uh, Fat Freddy's Drop by a friend of mine, and uh, it, I would describe it as like a like a reggae down tempo vibe, which is really loungy and chilly. And I hadn't heard of him before, but the, the music they have is almost like this nice puts you in like a good mood. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but it, but in a loungy, relaxed kind of way. So unfortunately, he's a, they're abroad, so they don't perform a lot in the States, but I've been devouring like all their music. And typically I put on like Fat Freddy's Drop Radio on Spotify and it opens up this new world. So highly recommend that. I'm sure most people know about this, but you find those artists and those songs that really move you. You click on radio for that song and you start playing that and spotify opens up this whole new world of artists and that's how i've discovered a lot of music as well fabulous well thank you very much for first of all thank you very much for everything that you've done for me and for my podcast and thank you for now being a great guest i appreciate you having me on the show it's not something i take lightly i know this is a lot of work to put together and i i really and honored to be able to share my story. Hopefully in some way it inspires people in some way, moved them some way. So I'm, I'm really grateful for our friendship and our connection. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you are subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please leave us a stellar rating or a review. Now stick around because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Cattaneo. To find all the links for Harry, go to the episode page of the podcast website, al4ep.com, spelled with the number four. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. On Twitter and Instagram, look for at AL4EDP with the letter D. And on Facebook, look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo, 
who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now here's a song by Susan Cattaneo. It's a fun little rocker about living in the moment. It's called Red Light Kiss and it's from her first album, Brave and Wild. Enjoy. Love is easy when you're cruising on a Saturday night. the other hole. 